Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Jim Thompson, PCA founder and CEO. Uh, Bob Scalise is serving in his 14th year as Harvard's Director of Athletics, and this time he has seen Harvard win 16 national team championships and 97 Ivy League titles. Prior to serving as the Director of Athletics, Bob spent five years as Associate Dean and Senior Executive Officer of the Harvard Business School. Bob was an All-American lacrosse player at Brown and later served as head coach of the Harvard men's lacrosse and women's soccer programs. I have to also say that Bob was a big supporter of Positive Coaching Alliance coming into uh, Boston and the New England area and was a founding board member of Positive Coaching Alliance New England. Bob, it's really great to talk to you today. Well, it's great to it's great to talk to you as well, Jim. So I want to I want to start by talking about business and nonprofit business and colleges. Um, you know, you uh, you served as um, senior executive officer of the Harvard Business School. So, you know, I, I'm I'm a MBA grad from Stanford Business School, and you know, you think about business, you think about Harvard and Stanford, um, and now you're leading one of the premier academic. Uh, or athletic programs at, a, at an academic institution. Um, how do, what's the crossover of business and sports, business and nonprofits, business and education? Just talk a little bit about about your thoughts about that. Well, whether you're going to be successful in business or in education, um, or actually in any endeavor, you've got to um, have a mindset where you're all about developing people. And um, we think that we develop people through our athletic program. Uh, we actually have a, a, the most extensive intercollegiate athletic program in the country because we think that you can learn the valuable lessons of participating in athletics, um, whether you're playing volleyball or tennis or golf or football or name the sport. And uh, it, it's tremendous when you see people learning those lessons, those lessons of leadership and how to pursue excellence and how to receive feedback, how to give feedback, uh, teamwork, collaboration, adhering to the highest standards of integrity, ethics, and sportsmanship. That's a very valuable lesson, and uh, sports is a, is a great testing ground for that. And then, you know, the, the whole character development piece where you're learning how to deal with adversity you know, and setbacks, how to take appropriate risks, and how to contribute to the success of your team. And those things are valuable, whether you're in business or whatever field you're in. And so for me, that, that's been the crossover between athletics and the background that I had in business. So there's there's kind of a, an assumption, I think, that business is efficient and nonprofits and universities are are not efficient. What do you say to that? Well, I think nonprofits, uh, if they're great nonprofits, have to be professionally managed, and um, but managed with a different scorecard than business. Business is business is efficient because you have a few well-known metrics to measure your performance. A nonprofit is actually more complicated and requires more of a balanced scorecard. And, you know, one of the elements of the balanced scorecard would be whether or not you're really fulfilling your mission. Um, and then you have to be, you know, efficiently managed and professionally managed and uh, use financial resources wisely. 
and whether it's a business or a, a nonprofit, you really, you know, great leaders always tend to um, the organization and build a, a strong organization. Um, and they also um, um, allow for and embrace an innovation, an innovative spirit. Uh, you can't be a great business over time if you're not innovating. You can't be a great nonprofit over time if you're not innovating. So, um, you know, I think that uh, nonprofits and business both have to be efficient. There's a probably a little broader scorecard for the nonprofit, though. Yeah, that's that's really uh, well put. Um, as you know, Positive Coach Alliance is about developing better athletes, better people through sports, which is what you just talked about. Um, and a big part of it is, is having what we call a development zone culture, where the, the goal is to develop better athletes, better people. Uh, and we define culture as the way we do things here. Uh, and that's actually a, a, a definition we got from a former McKinsey guy many years ago. So it's really out of the business world. How would you describe the culture of Harvard Athletics? Oh, gosh. Um, <clears throat> well, I think um, we have a few little operating principles that we use that might, might be helpful in answering that. Uh, number one is that we try to make each other look good, and we try to see the good in people. Abe Lincoln once said that um, if you're looking for the bad in someone, you're sure to find it. And we use that, and everyone gives a little chuckle, and they nod, and they say, yeah, so we're going to look for the good in people and try to make each other look good. Sometimes making people look good means that you're going to tell them when they're falling short or when they can do something better. That helps them become, you know, that makes them look good because it helps them improve and get better. So number one would be, you know, make each other look good. Number two is... Um, Spend our resources as if they were coming out of our own pockets. Spend money like it's your own. Okay, so you have to be a little bit frugal and you have to do a little bit of benefit. Is this what I really want to do? You know, not like it's, uh, you know, Mother Harvard's money. So we try to spend money as if it's our own. Uh, number three is we have a little bit of a, we've created an atmosphere where all ideas are welcome. And whenever we're in a room together of colleagues, we, we I basically start the meeting and say, I'm expecting everyone to contribute because we're all smarter. All of us together are smarter than any one of us. And so it's by our discussing things and sharing ideas that we'll actually come to a good decision. And then um, the last thing that we, we kind of look at is um, um, doing things that are in, are in the best long-term interests of our athletics program and the university. So we try to tap more of a long-term view than what helps us get successful today. And, wow, and those part are, of the, uh, I should I was just say, say those part are of that, fantastic ones. Yeah, those are, those, that, so that's how we do things. And, and, and I will say that sometimes, you know, developing great people and sitting a star athlete on the bench because they violated a team tenant, that's when the rubber hits the road. Are you willing to do that for the long haul? Are you willing to teach this person a lesson that they'll carry with them the rest of their lives, 
or are you going to have a short-term focus and play that key player who's not really you know, doing things the right way for the team, okay, so that you can win a game? That's, you know, it's, it's, it's when coaches are faced with decisions like that that uh, you really find out who embraces the spirit or not. You know, Defining we have... Moment. Um, yes, yeah. We have a, a phrase that we use, uh, a, you know, our, our model of coaching is a double goal coach. First goal is winning. Second, more important goal, using sports to teach, teach life lessons, which kind of corresponds to better athletes, better people. Um, and we have something we call double goal coach crunch time. <laughs> when you... Yep. You know, you have to uh, you have to step up ninety ninety five percent of the time. Uh, the two goals work together, but then there's five percent of the time that you got to make a choice, and you always want to make that choice for the the second goal rather than the first goal. Absolutely, absolutely. It's short sighted so, to not to not remember that that you're that you're, that you're doing more than just trying to win a game. You should be the, in in in. You should be involved in coaching and um, involved in education to help develop people. And that doesn't mean yeah. try, necessarily winning every single game by the biggest margin you can win by. Yeah, you know your third one. All ideas, all ideas are welcome. Really reminds me of one of the PCA. We call the PCA way. Uh, early in my career, I worked for Hewlett Packard, which was renowned for the HP way, the Hewlett Packard way. And um, so one of them is uh, debate and commit rather than smooth and avoid. And um, I think that the idea that all ideas are welcome and that these are our principles. And if you feel like we're, you know, top management or anybody else is violating those principles, you have an obligation to step up and talk about it. That's that can right. keep you from, because, you know, the, that double goal coach crunch time or, you know, taking the long-term interest of the athletic department and the university, um, there's a lot of pressure in a moment, and that pressure can cause you to have inferior judgment, let me say. Um, and what really helps you then is when you have teammates who are, um, uh, you know, saying, hey, uh, does that really fit with our, the way we do things here? Well, it's amazing also. You, you see a lot of old school coaches that that were, you know, the old phrase, my way or the highway kinds of coaches. And what we see in our environment where we have a lot of bright, you know, high achievement oriented, motivated people. Okay, they have ideas and they're really they become really good athletes because they think about it. And if a coach brings out their thinking, they have, you know, outstanding team performance. If uh, the coach squelches their thinking, then they have people who actually they go they, you know, they perform, but they go through the motions and you don't have that sense of commitment that you have when you embrace um, you know, our our specific student athletes ideas. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so let me ask you this. If you had to boil it down to the make-or-break ability or skill of an athletic department of a major Division One university, what's the most important thing that determines whether you're going to be successful or not? Um, 
do you as athletic director remove the impediments to people performing at their best? Mm. So you have to have the right people. You have to reward the right people so that you're sending the, the right message. You have to make sure resources are available. You have to facilitate some coordination, you know, whether it be scheduling, scheduling of facilities or whatever. There's, a, there's, a, there's some coordination needed. You have to rationalize your decision premises so that people understand the why you made certain decisions so they, they feel, you know, they don't feel disenfranchised. I boil it all down to you're removing impediments to people performing really well, whether they be motivational or resources or whatever. Um, my job, if someone said, you know, in just a few words, what do you do? I, uh, you know, I, de- I, I develop people and remove the impediments to their performing really well. Well, I like that. Uh, Chip Heath and Dan Heath, uh, Chip's a business school st- professor at Stanford and on our National Advisory Board for Positive Coaching Alliance. They have a book called Switch, How to Make Change When Change is Hard. And they talk about uh, three aspects of, of making change. And, yeah, and they use the image of a, a, a elephant with a rider on it and going down the path. And you can try to motivate the elephant. That's good. And you try to prepare the rider. Um, but often the easiest thing to do, the most important thing to do, is what they call clear the path. That's exactly what you're talking about. That's fantastic. That's right. You clear the, I clear the path. There you go. <laughs> so um, Tommy Amaker and Katie Stone uh, are two Harvard coaches who have been wildly successful. They're also uh, on PCA's National Advisory Board, as you are. Um, how do you go about finding and hiring great coaches to fit into your culture you know, you might have a great, uh, great coach who's interested. Uh, you know, Tommy has been very successful at Harvard basketball. Um, you know, it's not UCLA, it's not Kentucky, uh, and so people want to be the big time. How do you, how do you find the coaches who are going to be great at, at Harvard and want to be part of the unique culture of Harvard? Well, this is one of those instances where the right process gets you the right decision. So we use a, uh, a hiring process. I don't, we don't use search firms. We do it all ourselves. And we try to find a pool of candidates that are interested. And we, uh, we do the normal things of, you know, posting a job and seeing who applies. But we actually go out and try to recruit people that we think might be good fits. But then we put these candidates, you know, our finalists through a pretty rigorous process where they're meeting with a group of students, they're meeting with a group of alumni, they're meeting with a group of administrators here within our department, they're meeting people across the university in admissions, in alumni relations, okay, in the dean's office, um, they're meeting with uh, people on our faculty standing committee on athletics. And we seek the input. The search committee seeks the input from all of those various groups. And once we seek the input of all of those groups, there tends to be a little bit of a pecking order and a real analysis of who fits. Okay, if ever if, if someone passes all of those groups with flying colors, believe me, they fit. <laughs> but if they yep. don't we don't. If they don't, then we figure out, okay, what about the fit 
needs to be adjusted, and can it be adjusted? Can they be informed about you know whatever aspect uh, they need to um, they need to uh, work on? And we just figure out you know which uh, w- which of the candidates are we willing to work with and develop to become a Harvard coach that happens to be a Division One and, and happens to be in a Division One program. A lot of people look for Division One coaches and try to just hire them and say, "Well, now coach our team." I think so. The right process, number one, is key, and then the second thing that is key um, for us as we uh, as as we hire um, our coaches. Um, and now I just lost my train of thought on that one. <laughs> uh, there was something that was going to be a good gem. Um, well. Yeah, it'll it'll come back to you. Let me just say yep. the, the the process you talked about works both ways because uh, as the candidates are meeting all these various groups of people, um, they're really going to get a sense of whether Harvard's the place they want to be. That's right. Are these the people I want to work with? Um, you know, and that's uh, that's uh, that's that's a you know. Sometimes people say, you know, that's not really what I'm all about. And we say, thank you. This is good. This has been, it's been yeah, great to know you. Saving, we're saving each other a lot of time. That's well, right. When, when, that, when that other idea comes back, uh, you know, we, we've got, a, got some more time on this interview, so please uh, spout it out when it comes out. Um, I want to talk about hazing. Um, Positive Coaching Alliance, you know, you were very uh, gracious of having us do workshops for your coaches and the captains of your teams, et cetera. And we've done that with other schools, Tufts and uh, uh, Georgetown and other places, uh, University of Hawaii. But um, that's not our focus with Positive Coaching Alliance. It's really high school age and below. Um, And we're getting a lot of requests from high schools around the country to help with hazing. and you know, I think almost never is there a situation where a high school principal is in favor of hazing, um, and yet it seems to go on anyway. How, how do you deal? Have you had to, to do anything to prevent hazing uh, at at Harvard? Talk about hazing. Yep, um, we we work extensively with our student athletes and our captains and our coaches, and we talk about hazing. And first of all. In Massachusetts, hazing is illegal, and we define hazing as anything that either could physically or psychologically hurt someone, and anything that someone has to do that they're uncomfortable doing in order to belong to the group. And we try to, you know, have a position where we say that for a team to be successful, okay, you don't want anyone to be in jeopardy physically or psychologically. And if your team is going to perform at its best, you're going to have to have everyone contributing to the team and not have people sort of kind of on the sidelines because they're not really, quote, in the in-group. Um, and so we try to basically tell our tell our uh, captains and our teams that the freshmen, when they come in, okay, you will be their role models, and what you do to them Okay, will be what they do to you know future generations of athletes that, that that come into your sport. If you embrace them, if you welcome them, if you have them be part of the group, if you do team bonding things that are all fun and build on something, well, then that's what you're creating. 
if you do something with them that makes them do things they don't really want to do in order to be part of your group, you're going to continue that tradition within your team. And each year it will get worse and worse because every year the group in charge wants to do one better than the group before. And so you could be negative or you could choose to be positive. And we'd say the great teams here all choose to be positive. They don't choose to be negative about hazing. So that's kind of an overview of what we do. Yeah, but we talk about it. We talk about it in different groups. You know, um, a lot of people, um, when you get people talking about it, um, high school athletes and, you know, older people, there's kind of an assumption that hazing works, that uh, it creates a stronger team. Um, Can you knock that down? Well, you know, we don't believe in that, and so we don't believe that. And uh, there are many ways that people can bond together and build a team camaraderie without hazing people, without putting someone in physical or psychological risk. You know, at the college level, there's a lot of, you know, people drink alcohol, and uh, we also are dealing with underage drinking. So that's a problem. So what are we teaching this new generation that's coming in, that they should break rules or not? Or should we teach them that they should follow the rules or work to change the rules before you break them? Um, so we, 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 we think that we have a responsibility there. And we nip these things in the bud when we hear about them. That we've suspended teams. We've suspended people from teams. Um, you have to have a little bit of a backbone and say, that is just not right. That's not how we do things here. If you want to correct the problems. Um, okay. if, you, if you are blind and, and you know, hide your head in the sand, well, there's so much of this kind of myth of team building and hazing being good uh, for your program that if you're just blind to it, you know, you're basically signing up for letting it perpetuate. I love what you said earlier that um, if if, um, if you're going to be the best you can be, everyone has to contribute. And we actually, in our, our workshops with athletes now, we have a clip of uh, seventh game of the World Series this past year when rookie second baseman Joe Panic. I don't know if you remember this play with their runners, runner on first, and I think nobody out, um, and ground ball, and he got his glove on it. If he had taken the, glo- the ball out of the glove with his hand to make the throw to second, uh, he would wouldn't have been in time, so he just flapped his glove at the at the shortstop, and the ball and it turned into a double play. So instead of having runners on first and second, nobody out, the bases are empty and it's two outs. And it was like a key play in the World Series, and that was you know I see that play again, and it's just incredible play. But what really got me was after the game, and this is the clip we use in our workshops, um, he was talking about how from day one the the older players on the team made him feel welcome. And and then other players saying, older, you know, veteran players saying, we wouldn't have won this World Series without Joe Panic. Like, you really need everybody to, to buy in. There you go. Tom Brady giving uh, the guy who made the interception at the end of the game in the Super Bowl, you know, the, the, the car. Uh, Tom realized yeah. that, you know, he, here he was, a rookie kind of guy. And, yeah, he contributed to the team's success. So, hey, Tom wouldn't have been the MVP of the game had, had the guy not uh, made that interception. 
You know, yeah. you got to value. Yeah. You got to value what everyone can do, and 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 get them contributing and feeling like can, they can take a chance, um, and uh, that the team will support them. Not that the, if you don't do this other you know crazy thing, the team's going to ostracize you. And that's how people feel yeah. with hazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I've talked to uh, former Division One athletes. We have a lot of them who are trainers for us, and they still talk about things that where they were hazed when they were uh, first year college students that really make them angry all these years later. Yeah. Um, as an athlete growing up, who would you say was your most influential coach, and what was it about him or her that uh, made you? Um, that really helped you? Well, uh, I think my coach was my high school coach, um, um, Bill Lakey, who was a lacrosse coach at Uniondale High School. And, um, you know, I made the team as a sophomore. And um, he created a kind of environment where he gave everyone on the team a chance to show what they could do. And that's nice. You know, I wasn't, we weren't standing around watching everyone else all the time. You know, we had a first team and they got in there first and they, you know, did something. But then he'd say, okay, orange group, hop in there. Let's see what you got. And he gave us an opportunity to show what they could do. And I think a lot of coaches lose sight of that, especially the coaches that just want to win. They work with their first group all the time. And they forget about the kid on the sideline and the kid, you know, on the bench watching the play. And and this coach also coached the people on the bench and would basically, you know, during a game or during a drill, would go over the people watching and say, I hope you watch that carefully because if you watched what Joey did, Joey did something really special. And then he'd go and he'd say, Bob, what did he do? What did he do there? I said, well, he faked before he shot. Yes, he faked before he shot. Okay, remember that when you get a chance to show what you can do in there. That's, oh, you know, that's awesome. So anyway, I think he showed what he, what, uh, he allowed everyone a chance to show what he could do. And then, you know, he, they, he was very clear about how he was going to operate the team. And we had both offensive and defensive principles, but he also had team principles, what the team stands for what playing on this team was all about and the kind of culture that he wanted to have in the team, uh, with the team. And uh, I think because of that, the team was actually very successful. Yeah, wow. You know, you were, um, I'm sure there were people who were younger, but not very many than you. You're only 24 when you named head coach of Harvard's men's lacrosse team. Um Looking back on that, uh, is there anything you wish you had known? Oh, everything. That you know now <laughs> that you see that you wish Every, you had known then. Everything. I was young. <laughs> I was a I was a very good player, and you know I was a you know tough-minded assistant coach, and boy, you know I I wish I could go back and do it all again with what I know now. Um, I think I would have made it be a much more enjoyable experience for all of the people. I felt like I had to make these kids better instead of inspiring them to be as good as they could be. Mm. And um, there's a big difference uh, in, in just the verbiage there. 
And uh, if you can inspire someone to want to be as good as they can be, you're creating the potential of a great player. If you make people do what you want them to do, you know, you have a compliant robot. And you will not win close games with compliant robots. Uh, you, uh, you you win close games by creating an atmosphere where the kids just want to go out there and do the best that they can do, you know, with the team's uh, vision and goals in mind. And, you know, of course, you develop this over time and develop a philosophy over time. And some of it was trial and error. So, and some of it I learned a lot from my players who basically said, you know, when you yell at Joe, Joe puts his head into his, you know, into his body and withdraws, and, you know, he's useless the rest of the game. So try to figure out another way to tell Joe that you want him to do something different than he did. Um, And, you know, so luckily I was young enough that I was close enough in age to the players that they felt comfortable at least to tell me what I was doing wrong. Uh, There was a women's soccer player who, who basically said, Bob, I don't know if you noticed this, but you blow the whistle every time someone makes a mistake. Wouldn't it be nice if you blew a whistle and basically said, okay, freeze. Now, what do you see? Okay, with the gift of all the time in the world, what what opportunity would you like to exploit here? And how would you go about doing it? Okay, wow, what a valuable teaching lesson that that, that student gave me. Before that, I was just blowing a whistle going, boop, hey, look at that over there. You should have gone over there instead of where you went. Okay, and, you know, you realize that, you know, the the balance of positive and creative and looking forward to negative was out of whack. And I think that's some of the stuff that uh, you teach at the, we teach at the Positive Coaching Alliance. You know, you've got to have the right ratio for the kinds of kids that you're coaching. And mine was out of whack. Mine was way too negative, and I was the expert, and I was going to tell these people what to do. And they, by golly, were going to, I was going to make them do it. Well, that's not the way to build a championship team. You know, um, I've, I've got to drop a, a strange name in, in the conversation here. Um, you talked about you're not going to win close games if you have uh, compliant robots or whatever your term was. And uh, I, I had to look this up to make sure I got it right. The, the guy who said no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy was a Prussian uh, general called Helmut von Moltke the Elder. And I just love saying that. But, uh, you know, what happens in battle is the commanders sometimes get killed or they don't know what's going on. And if you, um, if you, if you train people to take orders, um, boy, it's just a, that's a disaster in the making. That's right. It's, and it, 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 it takes all the fun out of the game for the kids. Who are some of the um, Harvard student-athletes that uh, have been uh, graduated uh, through your tenure there that stand out in your mind, and and why? Oh, well, you know, you think, first of all, of a lot of the great athletes, you know. So we have Brian Fitzpatrick, who, you know, has had a great NFL career and was a starting quarterback for the Bills. And he he was outstanding because he was a... Fierce competitor, but very composed. Okay, so there was fire in the belly, but there wasn't freneticism in his uh, outward demeanor. demeanor. Um, but you could tell he was figuring out how 
to basically um, you know, orchestrate the team as a quarterback down the field um, in order to um, have the team be successful. Um, Jeremy Lin was also another outstanding athlete here at Harvard, and um, he was he 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 just played hard and was willing to take calculated risks to help the team perform and do well. Um, but yet he also balanced that with a real team ethos in sharing the ball with other players. So he had a great little balance of, of things. Um, we've had other players that, are, that have just been outstanding just because they're talented. Um, I won't name them, but I don't know whether I'd want to go into uh, a real competition with them. They were talented, but they weren't really the nicest people in the world. And maybe over time they became nicer, but I remember seeing some of them play when they were younger. And they would yell at the other kids on the team when they made a mistake. And I remember going to one of them and I said, you know, uh, I was a lacrosse player, and I was a very good player, and people wanted to pass me the ball. People don't mm. want to pass you the ball. And he said, yeah, I don't. I noticed that. Why, why do you think they don't want to pass me the ball? Don't they like me? I said, well, every time someone passes you the ball and it's not a perfect pass, you yell at them. What kind of pass was that? I'll tell you, when I was playing, when someone passed me the ball and it wasn't a great pass... I would say something like, nice try, I'll try harder to get the next pass, okay? So I turned it that it was my catching, not their passing, that might have been awful. Uh, and uh, I have just seen a number of team players. There's a guy named Charles Alchuk who really, I mean, he was a, a center forward in soccer, and he, he got people to want to pass to him. Because he said, uh, you know, he would go to someone that made a bad pass to him, and, and he would say, oh, I'm sorry I couldn't get there quick enough, okay? But great look, all right? People want to pass to that player versus another guy that says, you know, what kind of, what are you doing? Put it on my right foot, not my left foot, you know? So anyway, <laughs> those, those are three. Those are three. So Charles and, uh, and Jeremy and uh, Ryan are three that uh, I'll always remember. Um, I wow. also remember all wow, of our crew. I also remember, I don't remember their names, but I remember all of our crew athletes because in the sport of rowing, you don't even know who's doing what. And you have to do it together as a team. And it's like an unbelievable team sport because, you know, the boat wins or loses. You know, there's no one person where, you know, you get a little star because, oh, this is like outstanding. And actually to make all ivy, you ha you're the championship boat makes all ivy. So you don't have the wow, best rower. You don't have the best rower from each of the crews that make all Ivy. It's the championship boat is the all Ivy team uh, for rowing, and that's like wow. That's like terrific. Yeah, you know, you're when talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think he's with the Jets now. Is that right? I'm not even sure where he is now. Now, now, more recently, yeah. he's bounced around. Yeah, I think he just got in a couple of months ago traded to the Jets. Um, but you know, the the fire in the belly and the composure. Uh, Charlie Marr, who's um, the sports uh, psychology uh, guru for the Cleveland Indians, and 
gotten to be good friends with him, and he's uh, on our national advisory board. And he talks about a slow burn uh, that you wanna you wanna kind of feed that fire, but you don't want it to get out of out of hand, and you want it to uh, to reach the the point uh, at the right time. It's just I, I think so so often uh, kids watch uh, and, and adults too. They'll they'll watch somebody who gets really angry. Uh, and they'll say, "Wow, he's got competitive fire." Well, maybe he does, but he may he may not be the person who's channeling that that energy the best. So, uh, I, I hadn't I haven't paid much attention to Ryan Fitzpatrick from this point, but from now on, I'm going to because what you said about him is great. All right. Um, what do you do? Uh, I've got a couple more here. Thanks for this. is This has been fabulous. Um, I I knew this was going to be fun. It's even better than I thought it was going to be. Um, you, you talked earlier about the kind of athletes you have at Harvard. They're smart. They've got ideas, um, achievement-oriented. Uh, how do you deal with uh, parents of those athletes or the athletes themselves complaining about coaches? Do you do you encourage? Do you discourage? How, how do you deal with that? Well, we, we, we have a survey at the end of the year, and it can, it's anonymous, and people can write whatever they want. So, at least uh, the students always have an opportunity to write what they feel about their their coaching, and um, you know we'll talk to a student anytime a student wants to come in and talk about how they're being treated by the coach, and um, see if there are ways we can encourage the dialogue between the student and the coach. We're not as uh, we're not as open to parents, and um, we tell the parents that um, they are de-skilling their their child. By intervening. Great word. And um, what we ask is that the parents should be always supportive, and as long as it's not some egregious behavior, okay. As long as it's something, you know, some, you know, when someone throws a chair at something, we, you know, we're fine if the parent comes. Not that that ever has happened here, but we would be fine if a parent came um, or some really abusive kind of thing. But um, if it's a matter of playing time or a coach yelling at one of our players. We usually tell the parent, oh, well, this is very, uh, it's, it's nice that you, it's good that you told us about this, but um, um, if it's okay with you, we're going to bring in your son or daughter to talk to them about their experience. And the response we usually get is, oh, don't do that. Oh, no, my, my, my son or daughter would kill me if they knew that I called you. And I said, well, this is their athletic experience not yours. And so if it really is bad, I need to bring them in. And if I can't bring them in, maybe you could encourage them to come in and talk to me if they're having a problem. And that usually uh, sets the tone and sets the conversation off in a different way. And, um, you know, we, we basically, you know, if in... The other thing is sometimes the parent will complain and say, I don't want you to tell anything to the coach about this. And I say, well, if you don't want me to say anything to the coach, how am I helping the coach improve the situation? Mm. Okay? Um, You know, you're basically, all you're doing is complaining without giving me an opportunity to solve the problem. That doesn't do anyone any good. So it was nice that you told me about this, but I just now have to sit on it and uh you know see if there's any kind of real pattern here or anything like that and um you know uh you know i say it's unfortunate that you're not willing to have me talk to the coach um 
So, uh, you know, that's how we kind of deal with uh, with parents, you know. So on the big, yeah. big, awful things, yeah, we want the parent to know and we would do a whole big thing if if someone did something awful. But usually it comes down to playing time, stroking of the ego wasn't done properly, and um, it comes down to um, someone yelling at, at a child when they've never been yelled at. I mean, one of the... One of the things that we have to all watch for is that, you know, in, in this era where everyone gets a trophy and everyone gets, you know, patted on the back and nice job, Johnny, nice job, Mary, um, what what happens is sometimes kids are not accustomed to someone where the stakes are a little higher saying, hey, how many times do I have to tell you that you go left instead of right on that play? You know, and, you know, some people get upset when that happens and they get thrown off. Um, that's why employers love athletes. They love them because they're used to yeah. getting that feedback. When, you, when you're when you not doing something right, you can be straightforward and say, that was awful. That was terrible. That stunk. Okay? You better get your act together if you're going to stay on this uh, in this company, on this team, whatever. And they don't melt. The athletes don't melt. They say, okay, I got it. You know, tell me a little bit more about what you want me to do there. You know, they get they ask a qu- qu- clarifying question. Um, but uh, it's amazing how many people just melt because they, in our environment, you know, in a place like ours, we have a lot of people who haven't been wrong and haven't been make, been making many mistakes in their lives. You know, they're used to getting a you know 98 or 100 on a test, not you know 85. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Another issue that comes up with high schools is um, use of social media. Um, and do, does Harvard Athletics have a social media policy? We don't have a policy, but we talk to our students about uh, using their head. And I, and I usually tell them, you know a lot more about this uh, this space than I do. I have no idea. But just realize that whatever you you, you know say or do or put up on social me- media it's viewable by more than the people you think uh, it was intended for. And people share this stuff. And, uh, you know, people are always, you know, looking for to knock down a person that, you know, thinks that they should be admired. And, you know, you're a Harvard athlete. You know, people should be admiring you. And yet, you know, you're out doing something you shouldn't be doing. And people are more than happy to share that with the world. So, you know, you just have to think about it and be careful. I don't know enough about that whole area. All all I know is that it's a dangerous area, and that's where bullying takes place, and that's where, you know, uh, you do things to really embarrass. You could do something to really embarrass people, and, you know, that that stuff is just, it's awful when it's, when, when, when you have to deal with it. But uh, we try to have our kids use their noggin, and that's about it. Yep. Good. Um, last question, I think, is uh, what's a, what's a favorite book you've read recently, or a favorite book that's really influenced your life? Well, a favorite book I've read recently was Inferno by Dan, by Dan Brown, and that I enjoyed reading that because it was about you know I had traveled in uh, through Florence and Venice, and it was about the, that area, and I just enjoyed hearing him describe some of the things that I had seen. Many years ago, you know, ten years ago, but I, I, I just—I don't know why—I just picked it up. I just picked it up, and I said, "I want to read that." So that was a, that was a fun book to, uh, to read, but probably the best book 
that I ever, ever, ever have read was uh, like the Wisdom of Wooden. And it was about John Wooden and how he um, became an outstanding, outstanding coach when he started to coach more than the X's and O's and he got people to pay attention to the details of how their socks were put on and um, how it was hard to be... um, um, everyone wanted to be treated equally, and he said, well, in reality, to be fair, you might have to treat people not equally, but differently. Yep. Um, and then, you know, where he talked about, you know, the, the five things that you should remember is don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't blame others, and don't make excuses. <laughs> And he said, if you once his teams learned that, they became started to become championship teams. So anyway, that's probably one of the one of the more interesting books that uh, we give. uh, We actually give all of our coaches that book, and we give them a book called The Double Goal Coach by Jim Thompson. (laughs) If you can believe that. And I say, even though this was, even though this is written. For perhaps a different audience, there are many nuggets of gold in, gold in here that could be very useful to you and your teams. Wow, I've, putting uh, putting that book with the wisdom of Wooden, uh, you, you've made my day. You've, as, as we <laughs> well, say in TCA, you've you've filled my emotional tank. That's fantastic. Awesome. Hey Bob, I want to uh, I really want to thank you for uh, for this time and also just your support of Positive Coaching Alliance. You know as a as a leader of uh, a Division One athletic program, uh, it'd be very easy for you to to not be involved with youth sports. Uh, but you've been so supportive, and I just want to thank you for for uh, your support. Thank you. Well, delighted to be involved, and delighted to tell others that uh, this is something they should get involved in, and something that uh, if we had all coaches uh, and parents embrace the concepts. Uh, more kids would have a lot more fun playing youth sports. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.